plays with Dottie. Dottie plays with Jane. Jane plays with Willie. Willie is happy again. Suki plays with Leo. Sasha plays with Brit. Adolf builds a bonfire. Enrico plays with it. Hello, my name is Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we have seen, and will shortly be spoiling for you, Contagion. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I am joined, as usual, by Christian... McCroskey. Um, t- tonight I'd just like to be referred to as the Ukrainian. Mm. And Kelly Wand, who I can only imagine. Kelly Wand, what is the Contagion tagline? Oh, this is the Matt Damon character saying this. Uh-huh. Sorry about mom, but on the upside, honey, your chances of winning prom queen just skyrocketed. Hmm. Mm. All right. <laughs> All right. No, I'm okay with that one. It's, it's a bit long for a tagline, but I like it. I I have an alternate in case that bombed, <laughs> right? Which I don't think it did at all, based on your long, thoughtful silence and then murmur of mm, uh, which was what I was hoping for. Listening to this podcast may give you hearing aids. Mm. Yeah, I like the first one better. Can we go back to that one? See if you put your ear on a toilet seat. You can only catch it. What do they call that? Franz? Or no, what was the name for for, form? What was that weird word she was using about? Fomites. Fomites, Fomites. yes. Fomites, right. Thank you, Dingus. Because her mom's dead, but she... Well, that's a spoiler. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. So before we get into more spoilers, uh, let's have Dingus tell folks who maybe haven't seen Contagion or or don't know much about it. Dingus, what is this movie we saw this week? What What are the basics of it without spoiling anything? Like All right, with mom dying or something. Oh, good point. I don't want to talk about moms. All right. Um, this week we saw Contagion, a 2011 American thriller movie about a disease, epidemic, pandemic, outbreak, virus, medical disaster, directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Scott Z. Burns. Mm. Movie stars Gwyneth Paltrow, Matt Damon, Jennifer Ailey, John Hawks, Lawrence Fishburne, and Jude Law's teeth. The film is rated PG-13 for disturbing content mm. and some language. Diggis, mm-hmm. did you look up how to say that woman's name? Because that's one of the things I wanted to know after I was seeing it. How, say Jennifer, what's her name's last name again? Oh, I just totally made that up. It's Jennifer Ailey. That's what yeah. I decided. Because not- uh, I was going to say <laughs> or Mimi Rogers, but she was neither yeah. of those people. So I went with Jennifer Ailey. All right, I'm going to go personally with L. Is that okay with everyone here? That's fine with me. Let's go. Jennifer sexist. L. It's sexist when Dingus said he doesn't want to talk about moms, too. That was sexist. Kelly one, how would you pronounce that actress's last name? <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, now, Dingus, just to make sure, it's not called The Contagion. Are we sure about that? No. Um, it's called An Contagion. I don't know why. <laughs> They're saving the the for the sequel. Now, I only realized after the fact that one of the reasons I was really excited for this was because of the writer. So, Dingus, can you tell us what should we know Scott Z. Burns from, if anything? Well, what you should know him from is writing and directing a movie called uh, PU-239. 
And, uh, he also he also wrote the informant and born ultimatum, um, and you should look at those in diminishing uh, <laughs> sort of steps. But but uh, you know for uh, for writing the informant and for directing and writing PU two thirty nine, I was pretty excited. Yeah, at least two of us on this podcast are huge fans of PU two thirty nine. Uh, it's kind of a Political thriller, heist, crime. I don't know how you'd characterize it. It's worth seeing. I think it, it ran on HBO. I don't know that it was actually like picked up for theatrical distribution. It's easy to find. And of course, I think I might go as far as to say that The Informant is easily one of Soderbergh's top three movies. Is anyone going to dispute that on this podcast? I will not dispute that. Kelly Wanda, are you going to take me to task for for venturing, for, for positing that right there? What's his favorite movie? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Kelly Wanda, have you seen The Informant, with, uh, which Soderbergh directed, Matt Damon starred I don't in? see movies with exclamation points. At the yeah, end Tom, I, I objectively are saying the title. I do. It does need a little bit more panache to, to really bring out that exclamation point. You're right. Uh, but I would say The Informant is, is an illustration of one of those movies where you can see the talent of the screenwriter, the main actor, and the director all working almost immaculately together. It's one of the things that I love about uh, The Informant. How was that? Thank you. It it almost sounded like you had an internal monologue going on. Very nice, Dingus. Save that for the appropriate (laughs) 3 by 3 So, so, okay, enough inside baseball for why we were excited about Contagion. Actually, Kelly Wand, were you excited uh, about going to see Contagion? Where, where did this register on your hype, your own little personal hype meter? I got excited when I saw what the disease looks like in the trailer, and then I got bummed when it tells me in the trailer somebody who dies, and then you go, oh, Kelly, no spoilers, but it's like Warner Brothers Marketing Department didn't mind. Oh, you know what? That's a very good point. So, Kelly Wand, I, I have not gone back and looked at the trailers yet. Tell us, what, what do the trailers show about Contagion? They give they give away a, an early casualty, I presume? Yeah, they show Gwyneth Paltrow falling over and then them telling Matt Damon his wife's dead. Oh, oh no! Yeah, I know! Freaking trailers, man. one of those man. great I was of, really, yeah. That's a psycho reveal. That's, that's a psycho reveal. It's a fucking textbook. I, so, what the fuck? I was really annoyed about that. That's I the most annoyed I've been trailer since uh, What Lies Beneath. Tell you one way. What? Because <laughs> <laughs> it oh. gives away Harrison Ford's The Killer. I hope I didn't. <laughs> Well, they did, so I can. That's my logic. If they can do it on TV, I can do it in the fucking internet. That's in the trailer for What Lies Beneath. Yeah. Good lord. He's all he's he's killing her with a phone or something and some water. Yeah, I was really looking forward to Contagion because I look forward to all movies where everyone dies. Now, Kelly Wand, how does the trailer make? Before we get to the synopsis, and we'll talk more about what the movie is actually like. Does it, does the trailer make the movie seem like a like a thriller, or does it make it seem actiony, or ha- what what sort of tone does the trailer make you think the movie's going to have? They make it seem like a race against time disaster movie, which is fine. I mean, it's not that, but I don't see how else you would market it in a trailer. Right, but right. the Gwyneth Paltrow thing, what really? Wow, that really is surprising That's to me. That's not cool, dude. <laughs> All right. So they market it as Outbreak? No, but remember Outbreak? They ended the Outbreak trailer, I remember, with Dustin Hoffman going, everyone's going to die unless we find this monkey, and he holds up like a monkey picture or something. So it's like in the trailer, you know the third act, story beat, and it's about a monkey. And then it shows him near the monkey, so you know they find the monkey. So you don't need to see the movie. Right. Huh. Yeah, great. All right. 
Well, uh, okay, we'll get into spoilers in a moment. Uh, if you haven't seen Contagion, uh, you might want to skedaddle because we're going to spoil stuff. Uh, if you have, stick around because Kelly Wand, why don't you give folks a synopsis, sort of a blow-by-blow blow of exactly what happens in this movie? Blow-by-blow, blow. airborne, I get it. That's clever, chick. You should do a podcast. Four mics. Actually, before we do that, Kelly Wand, I just want to say, and we'll see if you can pick up on this, Get that out of my face. It's not in your face. It's in my hand. Get what's in your hand out of my face. Get what's in my pants off your hand into my face. See, now, Kelly Wan, where you're going is like, I'm, and that, now that, by the way, that is the most exciting exchange of dialogue they could come up with from the new Sherlock Holmes movie. Uh, to close the trailer with, with that exchange right there. Now, what you have to imagine, though, with me and Dings doing the lines, is that one of us is in drag. You see? And uh, that's what you get. Again? They did that in the other one, I thought. Was he Drag's in- never funny. Uh, Kelly Wand, in honor of being in drag, will you wear women's clothes while you do this, this week's uh, contagion synopsis? You mean more than normal? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so go ahead and spoil the movie. Enough about Sherlock Holmes. Uh, we can talk about that when we see it this holiday, uh, yeah. which I know we're all looking forward to. Um, so, uh, Kelly Wan, what do you call... It looks like... Uh... Uh, no, it, it looks like what? Go ahead. You, you were going to say something about Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes? It looks like the first movie, exactly. Like, In the first movie, slow first of all... Motion. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. never says, get that out of my face to Jude Law. As far as I know, that's all Jude new dolls. Does are his contagion teeth his real teeth? Well, let's get into that. Let's get into that. But first, let's have a synopsis. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. what do you call the contagion synopsis, Kelly Wand? Contagious. Awesome. So, yeah, we'll we'll contagious. <laughs> it's a long. I wrote it tired, and now I'm going to read it tired aloud on the internet. All right. So it'll be twice as boring. Um, contagious. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, did you guys try coughing in this movie? Like at the, when you got into the theater to try and clear a row? Because it would make people paranoid. Mm. Would it work, though, before they've seen the movie? That's what... Exactly. Yeah. It didn't work, so I had to fart. But anyway, back to the contagious. So Gwyneth Paltrow is all sick at a casino, and her Chinese waiter's all... You are right, ma'am. And she's all, yeah, but are you sure the Kung Pao batshit pork farts is statistically safer than Fugu? They tasted kind of batshitty. And he's all, ma'am, your doubts signify great racism. In my country, this considered great delicacy. Second only to E. Cori caviar. Here is your bill. Anjinsan. So she calls her husband, Matt Damon, and goes, Hi, honey. Hey, you worked with Soderbergh before. Could you ask him, seriously, another fucking casino scene? Also, the camera's out of focus, so I think I'm dying. <laughs> and he's all, Okay, uh, I'll tell the kids. Hey, why is the GPS say you're calling from Chicago? And she's all, Sorry, honey, we're breaking up. I mean, you are. Anyway, yeah, I'm definitely dying. I can tell from all the brain in my stool. Sheesh, and I thought Fatal Attraction was an infidelity morality play. And he's all, wait, what kind of morality play? Meanwhile, a Chinese guy gets sick on a subway and wanders out into a street where a truck hits him. 
The Center for Disease Control instructs FEMA Interpol to immediately quarantine all trucks and streets. The U.S. Department of Defense goes back to color-coding emergencies, but reassure everyone that it's only the same as before. It's just always yellowish-orange every day, no matter what's going on in the world. Meanwhile, a British blogger in San Francisco named Jude Law posts a quarter to three thread about Chinese truck driver conspiracies and spams a link to a Trojan worm site he operates where people can buy T-shirts that say, I read a blog about Chinese truck driver conspiracies, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. What doesn't the government want you to care about? Thanks for reading and wearing the truth is slavery, JudeLaw.com. Meanwhile, Gwyneth Paltrow back home welcomes Matt Damon. <laughs> I guess that's a typo. Luckily, no one noticed, and I just covered up seamlessly. And he's all, wow, this newspaper's boring. And she drops a coffee cup and foams at the mouth. And Matt Damon goes, honey, is the cup all right? But a doctor pats his back and says, sorry, mister, we did everything we can, which was basically watch. Oh, and rent the drill we need to open her head later for identification. But your wife's dead. And he's all, what? I haven't even called you guys yet. And the doctor goes, oh, yeah, also your son. Death avoidance is not really our specialty, but there are some wonderful grief counseling tapes on CD in the gift shop. Ask for Marvin. And Matt Damon goes, uh, quick question, what killed her again? And the doctor goes, oh, hardball, eh? Uh, let's see. And he raises a bone saw and saws off the top of Gwyneth Paltrow's head, and he vomits, and he goes, everyone step away from the table. This was definitely a super flu that affects the immune and central nervous systems and has a two-day incubation period. And Matt Damon goes, wait, so why are you freaking out over her brain? And the doctor goes, oh, I just don't like people crowding me when I'm with a woman I like. And Matt Damon's all, can't believe I'm saying this, but I don't think people like you should work at the morgue. And the guy goes, morgue? Meanwhile, Kate Winslet is a diseaseologist with the best actress accent, and she calls a meeting at the <laughs> International... <laughs> really? It's the little ones, huh? She calls a meeting at the International Boardroom Convention for disease-related exposition, and she goes over to a marker board, and she traces her hand, and she draws an eyeball on it and some Satan's horns. And she goes, okay, so as you can all see, this is probably what viruses look like. Gentlemen, the disease is spreading so fast, there's no time for anything here on out but montages of us looking at clipboards and people looting. How fast, you ask? Allow me to put it in layman's terms, even though I thought you guys were medical personnel like me. Flu has a noxzema integer of one. Polio has two. This sweet mama, let's call her S-M, might be a 2.1, maybe even a 2.112 non-repeating. And Lawrence Fishburne goes, what do those numbers represent? People infected per day or nothing? And she goes, sir, right now we just don't know. Also now and now, still nothing, sir. And the fat blonde lady goes, um, yeah, is that painting coming out of your budget or ours, doctor? And Kate Winslet goes, okay, look, maybe it'll help save some time if you let me rattle off some numbers and look frazzled. The average human touches their face 13 times a second on an average day. And Lawrence Fishburne goes, what about their dicks? My son, in the shower with me this morning. Oh, I shouldn't have written that part. And then she goes, look, there's no time for non-disease-related dialogue. This thing is highly contagious. It's a contagion. Because the title virus was taken by that fucking sci-fi movie where Donald Sutherland gets turned into a robot. 
We need to get everybody who's got this contagion into warehouses in close proximity with each other, along with any healthy medical staff that we can afford to lose. I'll have my assistants start injecting monkeys with random stuff from my medicine cabinet, like an outbreak. Maybe the monkeys will evolve past us and be able to give us some answers. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, I'm calling for a temporary national moratorium on all bat and pig-flavored meat products from Guangyang province. And the chief of police is all... <sighs> Fucking police state. And the blonde woman spits out her coffee and goes, there'll be bloodshed and riots in the streets. Bat and pig? Wait, I fucked that up. She spits out her coffee and goes, bat and pig? There'll be bloodshed and riots in the streets. I'll be leading most of them. (sighs) And Lawrence Fishburne goes, all right, people, that's enough for today. Now, my company car needs a new coat of white paint. Who around here is good with a brush? Winslet? And she looks out the window grimly and goes, we won't have to paint it, sir. The birds are already doing it for us. (laughs) Then she looks at him and goes, we're going to need a whole lot of hazmat suits. Meanwhile, the French best actress is driving to the airport with her houseboy (laughs) Wong. And she's all, by the way, that's my French accent, by the way. Word on the street is that this virus got got started because you people, I mean, of course, the Chinese, have shoddy livestock regulations. And I don't mean you people in a pejorative sense. What I'm saying is we're all in this together, and my people bear yours no malice, and this movie's not meant to cast your culture in a negative light whatsoever, except for the fact that you caused the death of mankind. Could just as easily have been Mexicans or Egyptians, although obviously the Egyptians wouldn't be able to pull off anything this effectively. Although the Nile's kind of like a Petri dish, and he's all cool and claps his hands, and then gunmen kidnap her, and... Shanghai her to a poor fishing village and he goes all right you'll stay here until they find a vaccine then you'll get all these kids to the head of the list and she goes uh just so we're clear on this plan if these kids catch it and then i catch it from them and i die how how's that work and then also without my help won't that kind of mean they don't find the cure as quickly and he's all racist meanwhile Kate Winslet gets sick at her hotel, so she's put in the doomed gym she helped organize and goes, Doctor, who's the fucking female lead in this picture anyway? Frenchie? What's she even do? I'm fucking drawing on blackboards and running out gymnasiums while she just sits around with the cute kids who draw fish for her. And at the end, the kids aren't even wearing masks anymore. This is bullshit. And the doctor goes, okay, thanks for that, but I really got to check on my other 9,000 patients. Again, thank you, though, for inspiring us all. Get well soon. I mean, die soon. So you're pansies, not because I'm mad. Also, maybe this isn't the best time. Would you like to go out with me sometime? And the guy dying, one caught over coughs and goes, Hey, Doc, any way I could get an extra blanket? We're in an open roof gymnasium in Minnesota in fucking October. No idea what you idiots was thinking. And the doctor's all, sorry, sir, we're out of blankets because this woman here, Dr. Winslet, had us use them all to make more hazmat suits. But just try to get some rest. I mean, permanently, not in a, look, mister, I know this isn't the best time, but would you like to go out with me sometime? I had another burner going, but, and he smiles sadly and covers up Kate Winslet with the blanket. And Winslet goes, um, Ron? And the guy coughs a long, horrifying death rattle and goes, Tuesday works for me. Meanwhile, Jude Law is in his apartment, blasting a fog machine into his face and talking into a webcam. Day 19. As you can see, cough, cough, the sickness has spread to my lymph nodes and fog machine. Cough. But I'm getting better thanks to my homemade drug, John Forsythia, (laughs) available now at my website for just 499 euros a molecule. Think of your family. Are they worth it? A couple of them. 
cough. If you can't afford my rates, I'm sure we can work something out. If you maybe have a wife, daughters, grandmothers, cough, cough, I've done worse. Meanwhile, Lawrence Fishburne is calling his wife from his office, and she's all, funny face, they're saying on the news that everybody's dying. Jude Law called you a dumbass piece of shit liar, but I called in to say you're not dumb. And he's all, yeah, well, don't believe everything you hear, at least not from me. And that muckraker stretched the truth. Not everybody's dying. Most people are already dead. Look, just get out of town and go to Atlanta. We'll figure out why later. And she goes, Atlanta's safe? And he's all, no, actually, they have it the worst. Look, I'm just trying to stay proactive. This is mankind's last year on Earth. And she's all, why? Are we going into space? Also, shouldn't I have some kind of security? I read on the IMDb synopsis that the French shit got taken as a hostage by Chinese bat farmers. And he's all, don't worry, sugar tush. There aren't any Chinese in Minnesota. And she's all, but I'm in Seattle. And he's all, look, I got to go. It's Pretzel Thursday. I love you. And she's all, I love you too. And he goes, I was talking to the phone, but thanks. And he hangs up and turns around and John Hawks, the chimney sweep, is standing behind him with a trash can full of mops and Star Wars Blu-rays. And Lawrence Fishburne goes, oh, hey, Stinky. You didn't happen to hear all that, I hope. And John Hawks goes, you know, all our families have Pretzel Thursdays. And he rolls his trash can down the flights of stairs, crying and falling. And Lawrence Fishburne goes to the gymnasium and sees Kate Winslet's being wrapped in butcher's paper. And he goes, oh, I guess I shouldn't have stopped for coffee. I take it we're out of body bags. And the dude goes, yeah, her last act was to tell us to use them all up to make extra blankets now that we don't need the hazmat suits anymore. Easy come, easy go, eh? And Lawrence Fishburne goes, you used to work at Subway, didn't you? And the kid's all, yes, sir, till they found out I'm immune. Now I'm an official body wrapper for a soulless government bureaucracy. This plague's the best thing that ever happened to me. And Lawrence Fishburne looks down at Kate Winslet and goes, she never liked avocado. And the kid nods and writes, hold, hold the avo on the butcher's paper. And he hands Kate Winslet's body to Lawrence Fishburne and goes, would you like chips and a drink with that? Ah, such a long way, isn't it, for that? <laughs> Meanwhile, the last surviving female actress who's not a hostage tests a vaccine on monkeys because monkeys are the one resource we still have an endless supply of. And she shoots it into her thigh, and she doesn't die. So she drives to the hospital and visits her dad and goes, Dad, you were right when you taught me that story about Thomas Edison discovering electricity by tying himself to a kite and diving into a volcano. Science is fun. I've discovered the cure, and the only side effects are brain cancer, diarrhea, and an Oedipus complex. And she kisses his head. I love you so much, Papa. Anyway, it totally works. At least I haven't died in the past ten minutes since I injected myself. So I got that going for me. And he's all, I'm proud of you, my dear. He's Chinese now, by the way. It's <laughs> another Another side effect of the agitation. Just remember that injecting things into your thigh has no effect if you do it up your nostril. But I'm sure you know that already. Did you bring any for me? I don't think I have more than a few minutes left. And she's all, uh, I kind of have a big thigh. Just like mom. Meanwhile, Matt Damon sees on the news that the human race is saved by deus ex machina syringe number 57. So he gives perhaps his daughter, gives perhaps his daughter, a prom dress that he looted earlier from a pedophile's house down the street. And he finds his wife's old camera and he looks at all the old pics of his wife eating bat shit and sticking her tongue out and lighting farts and blowing Zach Galifianakis in Vegas and fucking some <laughs> Chicago. Throwing up on the plane home, dying in the hospital, and finally one of her tombstone, which reads, Gwyneth Paltrow's character, beloved mistress and plague carrier. And he goes downstairs where his daughter and her boyfriend are all dressed up. 
because tuxedos and bridal dresses are the one wait bridal prom queen dresses <laughs> one and two last resources we have endless supplies of and they're slowly dirty dance grinding romantically beneath a homemade sign that says fake prom love dad on it and he sticks out his hand and goes ricky sorry again about that gun i pulled on you that one day you were about to violate my daughter in the snow a few months back but since this is prom there's no reason for a father to worry about his daughter tonight i'll be upstairs sobbing loudly if you need any pointers and they goes, oh, sweet, thanks, Mr. M. And I'm glad you bear me no hard feelings about your wife's infidelity. She was always super grateful. And Matt Damon's all, uh, well, I guess my story arc's complete. What did I do again? Not die? Uh, at least in Adjustment Bureau, I opened a magic door. <laughs> Meanwhile, and finally, Lawrence Fishburne goes to John Hawks' house and gives his son the cure and then sticks out his hand to John Hawks and goes, In ancient times, <laughs> you see black people are Chinese too, our races shook hands to prove there was no weapon in them. And John Hawks goes, Shucks, what about martial artists? Also, aren't germs too small to see on the hand? And Lawrence Fishburne goes, By the way, we're expanding your lovable custodial duties to include all the trash piles on the streets of San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and Hong Kong. Also, the toilet in my office is plugged up again when you get a chance. And John Hawks goes, awesome, because I've missed my work, like the plague. And the virus does a spit take. And your cat. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, I, you, you do a fantastic Keanu Reeves when you're doing Lawrence Fishburne. I don't know what that is, but I, I, I'm not a talented actor or writer or reader or podcaster. I will say your your French accent is second to none. I'm too dumb to accuse of racism, though. I think people get that, <laughs> so that's good. Chinese bat farmers, <laughs> and then they kidnap her. Well, never mind. All right. I want to let's play who guess who liked the movie. So. Oh yeah, yeah, I like that game. Let's play. Okay, so who then? Uh, okay, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess Dingus didn't like it and kelly wand is like eh, it's okay oh so you hated it no no you don't know that you guess is that your guess uh, you like shit that ends with prom <laughs> what so, you, so i think you liked it i'm gonna change my vote okay and what are you not think? putting to you <laughs> and how do you think dingus felt about it dingus a lot of dead kids uh, see but dingus likes to upset the, the apple cart whenever he can i don't i'm not gonna pick a droid again i remember how much i was hurt before so then uh he probably liked it more than he's willing to admit mm. so he'll probably say it was okay but in deep dns like oh god i gotta sort of see that again instantly all right so that's okay my, that's that's my prediction dingus what are your predictions for you. My prediction is that Tom loved it because everything Steven Soderbergh lo does, Tom loves. Mm. Especially Ocean's, Ocean's 13. 13. Yeah, yeah, I love that Ocean's 13. He does. All right, Dingus, what's your guess about Kelly? Um, I, I predict that Kelly saw, accidentally saw the 2002 Contagion directed by John Murlowski um, and starring Bruce, Bruce Boxliner was in that, and then he really liked that version, and he... he the whole thing that he just did is just, it just happens to have a lot of the same names in it. Wait a minute, what's the 2002 Bruce Boxleitner contagion? Is it another, like, global virus catastrophe movie? Yeah, I don't know. Is it good? Oh, who knows? Oh, Kelly right. would know, because he just saw it. Yeah, and I predict awesome. he really liked it. Yeah. All right, well, both of you guys, none of your predictions were serious, so you're both fired. 
Huh? Uh, I were. Uh, yours were? All right. Uh, well, fess up, everyone. Dingus, what did you think of Steven Soderbergh's 2011 contagion, not Bruce Boxleitner's 2002 contagion? Um, I thought it was an, a completely unsatisfying movie. What did Kelly say? That I, I liked it, but I don't want to admit it? What did you yeah, say? You would, you would like it more than you admitted. I like it more than I... And no, I didn't. You didn't I like it. I like it less than I admit it. Kelly <laughs> uh. what is your assessment of Steven Soderbergh's 2011 Contagion? Uh, like everything I think we've seen this year, I was really into it the first hour, and then I went, wait, they solved the problem? Weak. <laughs> Too many survivors. Like, it's, it's fun at first when the bad news keeps coming, but then at the end... Uh, it stops coming and everything's back to normal. And then it's like in War of the Worlds when you see Boston's all shiny, perfect, and untouched at the end. And you're like, wait, really? Nothing happened there? It kind of, uh, it hits hard pretty early. Uh, I loved the fact that it killed, you know, the, the death scenes with Gwyneth Paltrow and certainly the sun. I mean, those were, were, I think, hugely impactful. And as it goes on, I think the movie gets a little colder and a little more uninteresting and more dispassionate uh. and clinical. And the whole thing reminded me, uh, Stalin infamously once said, uh, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. Uh, and that made me think of Contagion. You know, it begins as a tragedy and it has this real emotional impact. And then all that goes away by the time 25 million people or whatever have died. Like, there's nothing that equals the impact of those early scenes with Matt Damon's family, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and all of the, the power of that stuff just kind of fell away in what I feel was an effort to, to capture this sort of global docudrama approach that Soderbergh took with traffic. And I think it served the material poorly. And I, I by the time it was over, I didn't much care for it. I mean, I thought it was okay. It was a decent thriller, but it uh, it just lost. It's a great opening. Yeah, it's decent filmmaking. It's just not satisfying. I mean, I mean, you know, at some point early on, I realized I was watching the anti Phase Seven, and I prefer Phase Seven. <laughs> well, maybe think of Phase Seven, and maybe think of this other movie called Testament in the eighties, the Jane Alexander sure. horror yeah. movie. Yeah, and it's just things keep getting worse, but then they kind of like buckle. They let's not buckle. <laughs> What's the opposite of that? Suck it up. They suck it up. They steal up. <laughs> uh, you know, the worse things get, the the better they get. Um, well, it made me think of. Go on. Sorry. Go ahead, Kelly. No, go ahead. I was gonna say at the end. It's, it's like they're he's injecting Lawrence Fishburne's injecting his wife, and they're oh yeah, she didn't. Nobody touched me, and like the power's working, and there's like no evidence even that anything has happened. It just seemed like uh, seemed like a cheat. Well, it doesn't really, I mean, for me, it kind of felt like a, it had this weird made-for-TV kind of feel at times. Uh, you know, they could put trash on the streets and sort of show a long shot of a street of San Francisco. You know, they could afford to do that. And I guess they they got a bunch of extras for some of the quarantine camp scenes. But it, it didn't really capture this global sweep or the, sort of the impact of that nearly as well as another movie I'm thinking of, which I bet Dingus was just going to mention, which only featured like a handful of actors uh, in the aftermath of a much more serious viral infection. Uh, and the way that movie handled it, the movie's called Carriers, is it just had the characters mention things from time to time, or maybe you heard a little glimpse of the radio, or 
you know, that movie had the luxury to only focus on one storyline, but it it let creep into that storyline the global impact of what had happened. And ironically, by trying something different, Contagion, sort of bopping around to different storylines, you know, I got less of a sense for the global impact of this thing. You know, every now and then someone would mention it, but it just seemed so busy trying to visit all these different storylines and not really doing justice to any of them. Yeah. That I just kind of, you know, I, I didn't get a sense for how terrible it was or how dire it, it, it was. Uh, you know, it was, like I said, it was just statistics. Um, thing is, were you going to mention carriers? Did I preempt you? No, not at all. I, what I was going to mention and what you just said about TV actually dovetails with what I was going to say is that this film made me think of Longtime Companion and the way that movie sort of slavishly and not ineffectively because I like a lot of what Longtime Companion does. Um, no, Longtime Companion is, I think that's the one I'm thinking of. It's the, it's the, the way it's sort of, do, it's like almost a document. Of what? Of how uh, HIV was? Are you thinking of uh, and the band played on? And the band? Yeah, I'm thinking of and right. the band played on. Um, and there's so many different people are in it, and there's so many different names that are in it. And you just go from name to name to name to name, and uh, and it made me think of that. And mm. um, instead of made me instead of making me feel like I was watching a movie, I just felt like I was watching a document of something, and I just started to feel less and less involved because of how many people he was trying to involve. Mm-hmm. It also pulls its punches a lot because it's Matt Damon. There's a certain point at which, the, like, by the end of the movie, he's finally breaking into a neighbor's house to get a gun. I mean, there's nothing of that how he's survived so long up to that point. There's nothing. I mean, is his power working? Where is he getting food from? They do show, uh, like, the scene where the army is trying to pass out the MREs, and they run out of them, and everybody is upset. And then we don't have enough time for the Matt Damon storyline to really resolve how he does get food for, what is it, 135 days. So, yeah, we don't we don't really see how people deal with stuff. I actually wasn't real clear. He was trying to cross the state line at one point. To Wisconsin? Got, yeah. Now, why was he going there, and what's the fault of him not getting there? Like, I, I didn't understand what was going on there, and I didn't uh, – it, it just seems like all the storylines had to suffer so much in order to make this a 90-minute movie when it clearly should have I, – I guess, I mean, I'm assuming what Scott Burns wrote didn't feel so desultory and didn't jump around – so so briefly between these different storylines like for okay for instance here you go the uh maria maria uh marion cotillard yeah so she gets kidnapped fair enough and we she we then see one scene of her watching the little kids drawing and we get nothing about this shift that she goes from being a scientist to caring enough about this one village that when she finds out they were given placebos she turns around and presumably leaves her duties and runs back to the like like that's a huge character shift uh and we don't get to see any of that it's just sort of taken for granted and it's glossed over and it happens and whatever um it just felt like all the storylines got that kind of treatment and then what's the resolution of her she goes back to the village and does what that's not we have no idea just like we have no idea what matt damon's daughter how she feels about her mom because at one point she says mom 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 no, no, her real mom, because in oh, the beginning, oh, oh. Matt's like, no, you need to go to mom. And she says, she doesn't need me. She has Dan. Right. Uh, I'm going to stay with you. 
And then there's no other mention of mother again. Does is mother died? Is it, right. because that's still her mom, and her mom is somewhere in the world. But because we have to, it's it's like this is a an extended trailer for a miniseries rather than an actual movie. Thing is, you don't get to know that you're on a need for no to know basis, and you don't need to know. Uh, it's her mom. I mean, all she cares about is texting this this dude this dude <laughs> Aaron, Andrew, who she's going to make snow angels with. <laughs> that guy yeah. was a dork too. I was like, yeah. really? That, that that's a good. That movie. guy got her. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I, that I did really appreciate though how. Our entry into the events of this movie, how, uh, you know, this patient zero um, is part of this broken family. And, and I like that I, that it didn't necessarily go into a lot of backstory that we just get, you know, she's she's married. There's a step there. They each have their own children. There's some infidelity. Like, I like that sort of sketchy, broken family being broken apart even further. Uh, I liked that. That was cool. And it reminded me of, I'm going to plug another really obscure horror movie. Uh, it's a, a British horror movie from 2008 called Salvage. And it opens with a father dropping his daughter off at her mother's house. And there's obviously some familial tension. There is some infidelity stuff going on, where the daughter fits in as well. And, and, and this is the introduction to the characters, and what then happens to them is kind of a typical horror movie, and it sort of falls apart by the time it's over. But the word salvage isn't just about the, the source of this the horror movie. It's about this family unit, you know, and how do you, does this already broken family unit deal with this horror? So I recommend a British horror movie called Salvage, and I really like that that Contagion played us into the events in the middle of this, this fragmented family. I kind of like that aspect of it. Um, I really had high hopes at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I mean, with all the shots of hands and the little attention to detail of surfaces and whatnot, Mm -hmm. I thought that the movie was going to continually pay attention to those types of things. And instead, it became this other kind of soap opera drama. With science. Yeah, but but with neither. Like, even we don't even get the science. Like, we don't know what the breakthrough was. She just goes, "Oh, look, the monkey lived." <laughs> that was kind awesome. of odd. Yeah. And then she goes, "Dad, you taught me everything." And it's like, wait, did he teach you to just get lucky on the fifty seventh try? Because that's kind of why. Uh, um, I really liked her though. I, I yeah. I, uh, I thought she was. I don't. I don't know what she's from. I'd never seen her before, and as we've established, we don't even know how to pronounce her last name. Uh, but I loved that actress. I thought she did a great job. Yeah, and I liked. She Winslow. was in. Liked... She was in the King's Speech. She was the wife. Oh right, that's right. She was a uh, Jeffrey Rush's wife. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's good. I... See, so she's doing an American accent too. They have two British actresses and a French one. Very sneaky. Uh, what if you dead first shot? <laughs> and I love that too. I mean, come on. I, I, I know. It really I know. does suck that they give that away in the trailer because I thought that was a real shock. Uh, I like that quite a bit. Um, uh, how did uh, let's talk about the other actors who who fared well? Who did you uh, think? Uh, what do you guys think of the the rest of the cast? Let me put it this way: Was it distracting having so many famous people marching in and out of this movie? Not necessarily, not in and of itself, because because the, the writing the dialogue is not bad. Mm-hmm. It's not bad dialogue. It's mm-hmm. just well, we don't give a shit about any of these people because we don't have time and. I just, they all kind of blend together. Some live, some die, and it's... Okay. Dingus, did all of these, did the, the sort of Soderbergh celebrities on parade thing bother you at all? Is that just me? 
And not really, but that's what made me think of the, uh, I guess, as the band played on, or even Longtime Companion, which both had a lot of celebrities marching through in a, in a very earnest uh, disease movie. Um, but I, 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 one of the things I was disappointed with was how clunky, I mean, how the dialogue would have these weird sort of, I'm trying to make an, an important or pseudo maybe kind of funny statement, and it would just clunk. I, I didn't really like the writing at all. Really? What, what's an example of a clunk for you, Dingus? Uh, a lot of the stuff uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne said, like um, like when he says to Kate Winslet, as of this moment, you and I are attached to the cell phone. <laughs> Come on, Dingus, that's, that's awesome. Or, or you know, something like um, let's hope uh, that that thing that Ke- Kelly made fun of the 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 you know we don't have to weaponize this the bird flu the birds are doing, <laughs> or or uh, let's hope the virus knows that. I mean, there was just so many of those sort of like uh, the, that you you sort of think oh that's clever and then you then you process it and you think oh what what does that even mean? I agree with you for the most part, Dingus, but there were some things where I didn't even think that was clever. That whole Lawrence Fishburne holding forth in front of some little kid who obviously couldn't have been less interested, but was trying to act because the script wanted him to be interested. That whole thing about uh, ancient times, people shook hands to show they didn't carry a weapon. That was so clunky to me. I, like, I like, I get what, I think... I agree in, with what you're saying, Kelly Wan, in that I liked how some of the science stuff had that fly-on-the-wall feel. You know, it wasn't necessarily, like, presentational for the audience with a talking computer and all these little animations that were dumbed down. It was just people talking science and showing things that we, the audience, didn't understand. So I liked some of that stuff. Um, but like you're saying, Dingus, as soon as it felt like it needed to make a point, uh, I, I just it, – it felt really clunky to me at times. Yeah. Uh, I did though like the 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 writing for as things were getting dire and ratcheting up. I loved the scene, uh, the the autopsy scene where the I want you to move away from the table. Like, yeah, I yeah. love that moment, that one moment. Even though it had that little writerly button, you know, should I get someone? Get everyone, you know. That. That's and that line started <laughs> happening. Really what, what do you mean, everyone? Everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would have just pushed, given it that little extra turned up to eleven feel. Um, but I did like. I liked a lot of the writing during the wind up and and some of the fly on the wall. Get away from the table is a great line. Yeah, Get, yeah. And you don't see what it is. It's like a Rosemary's Baby eyes line. Like, well, you know. I really liked how it was shot, and the audience was my audience was was giggling at that, like where they fold over her scalp, you know, where it's the the actual actress sitting there. Uh, it was just so gruesome, and you just got this. I mean, it was just like a, a weird, like dead body, icky feel to it. I loved that the way that scene was shot. Um, well, how did you well, a, think about feel about the uh, the way the casino security um, oh, tape was dealt yeah. with? Yeah. Uh, so unhappy that uh, yeah flashback <laughs> well aside, aside from the the aside from the fact that i think it it's one of those moments and i think kelly had this as a three by three where it's the the last the last shot ruins the film um I, did you like it all that that sort of we're gonna we're, the idea is we're doing the security tape and we're going to show you from inside of it so that gwen Paltrow gets more screen time no, I, then that's what it felt like, is that, you know what, we had Gwyneth Paltrow. I, I, I so applauded their courage to have, you know, a celebrity like that and then the dispatch her early on that it really did feel like they were 
they were taking back this cool idea they had, and they just wanted to show more Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, I wouldn't have minded having uh, Marion Cotillard just freeze frame and show that stuff. I didn't need to. I I just felt that was a mistake. That didn't work for me. Kelly Dingus, did it work for either of you? Uh, no, but the early stuff's great where she's phoning and the daughter's watching, and that's, right. that's a great scene. But the whole mystery bit where they're showing her contacting the, the Hong Kong guy who steps in front of a bus and where they, uh, and the, the Japanese businessman, like, all that, that flashback stuff, were you okay with that? Yeah, it, the writing was better when there wasn't dialogue. There, I said it. All right. <laughs> that's his weak spot. But his strong, his strong spot's like, you know... I, to me, the characters actually went in and out kind of gracefully, considering how many they were trying to juggle. Like, I don't think any of them resolved well. Right. Um, and they, they don't add up to anything, but, you know, the patterns are there. <laughs> well, hold that thought. Cause, uh, so, Dingus, why do you ask about that security tape investigation flashback scene? Did, did that bother you, or did you like the way that worked? For uh, for a while, I did, because I like what they, what uh, you know, because... Soderbergh shot the film himself, which he's done with most of his films. Uh, and I like the change of the, there was a there was a different sort of sense of how it was shot and the colors that were used, um, because most of the time I'm going to hate that kind of thing, because I think it's a violation of what the flashback is supposed to be. But it's but what they were doing is is let's just show the audience and and in in a way uh give us what um uh, what uh the Cotillard character is is deducing but i think it just got totally out of control and that is that is nowhere more uh, apparent than in the last scene in the movie where it it goes off the rails and it made me just want to flip off the 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 fucking movie i mean i hated that i absolutely hated that last scene but dingus don't you understand it was the bulldozer from the very corporation that knocked over the tree that made the bat fly into the pig pen and drop the banana it's like seeing vader as a little kid and going oh now i (laughs) (laughs) well what what... i i just hated that that i mean that is that that is the essence of the the bruce garrick role of of you you ended your movie too late uh, and and you've ruined a movie in the last moment. Uh, you know, if, if it hadn't been ruined, it was ruined for me there. I thought that was horrible. I wouldn't go that far because I could see what they were trying to do. It, it seemed like the movie, the framework of the movie was supposed to be a mystery about how did this start. And that's what several of the characters were chasing, although that's something that I failed to appreciate the importance of as it was going on. I didn't really care how it started. It seemed like there were much bigger fish to fry with how to quarantine people and these cool new social concepts about the lottery, about the bracelets. I love the scene where Matt Damon goes to the abandoned mall and they have to scan him when he walks around. Uh, so once all that stuff was kicking in and was happening in the world, I, I didn't really understand why it was important to figure out who had it first, like who Patient Zero was or where it came from. Uh, and maybe that's like I maybe that was supposed to tie into how they figured out the virus or whatever. But it seems to me the movie was was structured as this mystery about where did it come from, who had it first. And I considered a failing of the movie that I never understood why that mystery was important. So that when that's the final reveal, that's the final shot that we get. You know that the cook didn't wash his hands before he touched Gwyneth Paltrow's hand, and therefore he communicated it to her. I didn't understand why that was a big deal. I understood the movie wanted that to be the big reveal. But I didn't understand the significance of it. 
Because then you know what caused it. I mean, it does tie. But they had already said that before. They had somebody had already said the wrong bat met the wrong pig and blah blah blah. Okay, that's fine. Why do we have to care about what made the bat fly into the pig pen? How the cook who didn't wash his hands touched Gwyneth Paltrow? I mean, I I didn't understand. After that, I didn't understand why we had that line. Why it had to go into more specifics? Oh, it didn't. After the line, then it didn't have to. So that should have come before the line. <laughs> or the line shouldn't have even been in there, and that should be a reveal. That just a bat flew out of a tree, and the guy didn't wash his hands, and therefore Gwyneth Paltrow was patient zero. Uh, so, so I think, Dingus, I, I don't know that it went on too long so much as it didn't really justify its own structure. Uh, and, I, yeah, so uh, and I agree with you that that scene was had me scratching my head, but I think I saw what they were trying to do, and I just thought it didn't work. Well, I thought they were just getting moralistic on us. There was just this, we're, oh, we're, yeah. we're companies knocking down the rainforest, and that's why everybody's going to die. Uh, that's, see, that's I was so dumb. I thought they were going for. It's all my fault. We're killing ourselves with their bulldozing. Well, they did have that. Uh, they, it did seem like they wanted to be this sort of uh, moralistic, you know, what are we going to do? You know, it reminded me of Deep Impact, where they, they had the, the meteors coming to smash into Earth. And so unlike Armageddon, where a bunch of men get together and figure out how to blow it up, in Deep Impact, a bunch of, like, sobby people have to get together and decide who's going to live in the the bunker. And right. it, so it, it kind of felt like they were trying to take that sort of approach at times and then yeah you're right ding it's just it was so out of place too the way i don't know how many bulldozers have a big old placard mounted on the side of them when they're knocking over trees but the moment i saw that i was like really really that's how you're going to drive home the point that this exploitation ltd yeah (laughs) i mean that just looks so out of place and made for tv let's let's have the art department mock up a a poster board with the company logo and then we're going to tape it on the side of the bulldozer while it's working good lord yeah. Uh, uh, so, does either of you guys? I haven't read it since I was a kid, but I know that both of you guys are fans of this author. Uh, there's Stephen King's book, The Stand, which I seem to recall as a kid had a bunch of really cool stuff about this virus spreading and this idea of, like, if I'm not even mis- mistaken, doesn't somebody hand change to someone else? And Stephen King follows the progress of the change through different people's hands, like the coins. Am I am I remembering that correctly? Does either of you guys remember the stand very it's well? It's a dude. Yeah, I remember. But he, it's because the guy who was at the facility where they made it got busted out of it, and he had it. And then he goes to the gas station and infects everyone there except the one guy who's immune. And does wow. does the stand? Does the early part of the stand sort of trace how this disease then spreads out into the world, or that's just the end of it? Is the guy breaks out and infects people in the gas station? Yeah, that's basically it. But it goes into a lot more detail about the unraveling of society. And there's like a really cool scene. I think that's only in the long version where there's a lottery, too. But it's like um, it's like a race war. And uh, it's like uh, they got soldiers and they're drawing their numbers out of like a, a basket on TV and then shooting them. It's, it's like a reality show. What? <laughs> that's not what they did in, in Contagion. <laughs> no, I know. They didn't do anything like that in Contagion. It's, and I also didn't like in Contagion how they made the government like sympathetic and why. Like, I, I get the sense they needed to show the government in a positive light because they needed those characters. I mean, the Center for Disease Control, like, I see what they're after, but the military isn't doing anything. If there was a lottery, there'd be civil war, wouldn't there? 
So that's, uh, you know, I wish we could talk more about uh, Phase 7, because I'm afraid that not enough people have seen Phase 7. And Tom brought up, you know, it was not something that occurred to me when we saw it, but Tom brought up how that's very much a post-Katrina uh, movie and this this movie Contagion uh, Jude Law actually says you know he mentions Wall Street and Katrina and so it's clear that they're talking about that and I, you know I kind of wish we could talk a little bit more about how Phase Seven dealt with that and how this movie deals with that. Well, Phase Seven right at your door. I mean, I, I think that a lot of uh, I think this is sort of a reversal of that post-Katrina, the government isn't going to help you. Like, it did seem like the government was earnest. They were doing their best. They were struggling mightily against junk scientists like Jude Law. Uh, I, I I didn't mind this, the fact that the government was actually benevolent and doing the best that it could. I kind of liked that twist. No. Um, Too unrealistic. No? no. Okay. Outraged. And they never shot anybody. You don't think they shot some people? We wouldn't get to see that. Like the riots over the MREs, like that kind of thing? Or, also, or Matt, one of the roadblocks. Yeah, and if Matt Damon's immune, don't they need him to? I know he said there is a line to that effect where he goes, don't, "Can't my blood help discover a cure?" Like, doesn't he get? Don't they need his blood for anything? Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. That would take too long. That takes too long. <laughs> it's easier for me to inject my thigh and go talk to my dad. That's true. <laughs> Uh, one thing have- that I liked was the juxtaposition between the, the sort of trash bags in the street and emptiness of public spaces and the fact that we still have Dr. Gupta interviewing people on TV. Oh, God. Oh, jeez. Uh, Pete, that was so annoying. <laughs> I just I just like the idea that that um, that there are things that are unraveling and yet there are still there's still pockets of society that are. They're finding. I mean, elect, we still have electricity. We still have running water. We still have these things, and yet millions and millions and millions of people have died. We have electricity, but we don't have trash pickup. <laughs> what's the What's the logic of that? Well, because I mean, those, you know, doctors' unions and uh, presumably trash unions are on strike because there's no protocols. But electricity, you can just, you know, be in in a little. Do we or do we not have running water? I think we do. All right, but that you pay for refuse for sanitation when you pay your water bill. So either they're not paying their water bill. <laughs> Never mind. I think yeah, like you know, Dingus mentioned yeah, like the, the there were mentions of strikes at one point. Now health workers wouldn't work, and it didn't even occur to me. But I, maybe the, did they mention it? I guess that's what was going on with this whole idea of trash all over the streets, is that the trash workers struck, but yeah, struck, and the nurses struck. But that scene got cut from the movie to make it 90 minutes. Wait, why are how come water and garbage get linked together in RL, but electricity and gas are just two separate bills? Um, water and water gas. and trash. Yeah, hey, I mean, that's two. That's one. That's bill. gross. Yeah, that's gross. That should be segregated. That doesn't make me thirsty. <laughs> Kelly, one. What is the R not on that? Oh, six. <laughs> Uh, okay. It's also awesome, and I didn't think about this before, but with all that trash, there's no rats. There's not a rat in this fucking movie. Yeah. Mm, good point, Diggis. Uh Okay, what story? If you guys could pick one storyline, all the other storylines are gone. We're just going to focus on one storyline for this movie. Whose would you pick? I'm going to go first. Uh, I really like the Kate Winslet story arc. I would have rather just seen a movie about this valiant CDC worker that responds to this situation 
you know, the government is benevolent. It's helpful. It's doing the best it can, even to the point where she dies and her dying act is to try to give a dude a blanket. I, I like that story arc. Uh, I thought she was good. Um, I would have liked to have seen. That's the one that I think should have had more screen time. Uh, Dingus, can you pick one out that you particularly liked? Or are you just going to steal my pick? No, since you chose that one, I'm going to choose Matt Damon because I was constantly surprised that he wasn't going to be the hero yeah. that was delivering the vaccine at the very last second. <laughs> that yeah. he's just the guy who has to protect his daughter and try to quarantine his own home. And uh, I mean, uh, you know, that that grocery store scene, you know, it it I I mean, I I'm I keep mentioning Face Seven. I just think Face Seven is such a great. You know, it's a completely different film tone. I mean, tonally, it's completely different. And I, I just hope people will see that because the grocery store stuff in Phase 7 really appeals to me. The stuff you see here is sort of standard. Oh, I mean, even Zombieland has better stuff. You know, we've wandered into a store, now we're going to wander out. But from uh, the point of view of a father protecting somebody, especially since he's lost a six-year-old, which freaks me the hell out, his story of, of, of the dad protecting the house, uh, mm-hmm. I mean... I really groove on that, especially since it's Matt Damon and he's not born. He's not going to be the hero. He's not born. And I also really like how he like he had a little extra weight on him and he looked good. He, he, I mean, he looked like a normal dude. And uh, even my little sister who lives in Wisconsin and saw the movie had to give him a particular shout out for how he captured that kind of pasty Wisconsinite skin tone. Like I like I like Matt Damon just looking like a normal dude. Uh, he was. I, yeah. So maybe I'm. can I change answers with you, Dingus? No, and I, I like that too. I mean, he looked real. I mean, he does that. I mean, and people goof on him a little bit. He, he was like that in the informant too. Yeah, he, yeah. He had just the right amount of weight on him. Yeah. Um, in another movie that had this weird sort of penchant for having random comedians who weren't funny in it. But I mean, I really liked him, and I would follow that. I would follow him. He uh, was never challenged though sufficiently, like he, the way you're talking. About. Well, he couldn't turn. He had to turn around instead of going to. wherever he was trying to go yeah that's probably a drag and i love how he thought that he could just tell the soldier i'm i'm immune i've already had it i'm fine like he thought the soldier would just wave him on through oh in the same way so my audience got a weird i think they they weren't sure what kind of movie they were watching yet but when the doctor is telling him we're sorry your wife's heart stopped we tried to do everything we could uh we had no success and he's like well can i talk to her yeah (laughs) yeah i like that that was really good, and, and it got a laugh, because I don't know if the audience really knew what kind of movie they were watching yet when I saw it. Uh, it's kind of not funny, though. I know, I know, yeah. He's in shock, and he doesn't know he's in shock yet. But uh, it's did, so, that, that's an example of the good writing I'm talking about. Like, it's yep, the less yep. is more, I don't know. Dingus, do you remember the grocery store scene from Blindness? Oh, yeah. That's another great, like, end-of-the-world grocery store scene. Uh, all right, Kelly Wand... If you could just pick one storyline that you would want to see more of in, in Contagion, what would you pick? The bat. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, want get that out of my face. Mm. <laughs> my face isn't in your pants. Yes. One, two, three, not only you and me. Or maybe the three of them caught in between. Counting one, two, three, beat upon every Dude. What you can you can do it after the bat? I, I said the bat exactly that way. So you do it and then you go, hey, Kelly's on fire. Let's set him up again. That's the one. Oh yeah. Jeez, I want to do this. I want to do the Sherlock Holmes exchange with you. I, I just I 
I think that should be our new, would you like to tell me where you've received your training? Did you guys see the trailer for the movie where Daniel Craig is haunting himself? Yes. What's it called? The Dream House. Dream House. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't stop watching that because it doesn't, I don't really know enough about it to think that I should want to see it. I don't know. It taps into Daniel Craig's universal fear of Daniel Craig. <laughs> Very good. I avoided a Daniel Craig trailer. What was I avoiding? Oh, a uh, dragon, girl with a dragon tattoo. Oh, dragon tattoo. All right. Yeah. Uh, Looks like the same fucking movie. I didn't read those books. Are they really good? Is everyone just dumb? Like with uh, Tom loves them. His book club read them, I think. Oh. Huh. Uh, I, you know what? So watching that trailer, so I, I kind of like that approach to a trailer, the way they're doing the trailer for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is just real quick, a, a succession of just real brief images, like, you know, tops, like a second each, just over and over. And the thing is, it does look like an almost like just straight up shot for shot redoing of the original with David Fincher sort of adding like, extra atmosphere. I don't know. It's Fincher- I like that I can just listen to it. I don't have to plug my ears because it's just throbbing music. Right. No dialogue. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Best kind of writing I heard somewhere on a podcast this week. Really good. Wise man. <laughs> gibbering like an animal about it. Uh, speaking of gibbering like an animal, uh, let's do a three by three. What do you guys think <laughs> of that? It's <laughs> mm. <laughs> a great idea. Dingus, what if, is uh, three three? Oh, yeah, Kelly Wand? Contagion juggled nine storylines, will juggle nine choices. Very good. That's a good intro. I should have used that. Uh, Dingus, what is this three by three this week? <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Always here for you, Dingus. Uh, there were, there was a, a pretty good one of these in Contagion, actually. There were two. There were a couple. There were a couple. Um, this is your three favorite uh, POV shots. And, and, you know, it's that, that shot that's clearly through a character's eyes, um, where it's it's supposed to be like you're the, you're the eyes of the character and they, the camera is representing that. So it's your, your favorite point of view shots. And it's not a shift in point of view as in a narrative device, as, and Tom was very right to make that distinction last week it's it's a it's it's this this idea of the of the camera seeing through a character's eyes now i'll be going first and i have to say i don't know a lot of like cinematography talk but uh one of the things dingus and i i think i have approached this correctly uh, a pov shot isn't necessarily the same as a first person shot like, you can have a scene where there's two characters talking, and then one of the characters sees something, and then the camera shows you what that character sees, and then it goes back to a shot of the two characters talking. And that's not necessarily the same thing where, like, the camera represents the character's eyes. Like, it represents what the character's seeing, but it's not the same as, like, a first-person perspective, which I think is what you're going for, or at least it's certainly what I tried to do with with my three picks. Um, like, for instance, Dingus, you mentioned during our slow-mo scenes, uh, one of your favorite slow-mo scenes. I don't know if it was one of your picks, but you mentioned the scene of Gwyneth Paltrow getting off the bus and that uh, Nico song playing. Uh, that's technically a POV shot because it's oh, what, good point. It's, it's good what point. Uh, Luke Wilson is looking at. It's not where the camera then is his eyes and then moves around with him. So POV shot, as far as the, the this term used in cinematography, is I think a bit more loosely defined than what you're going for. Uh, but I think I understand what you're talking about, partly because you and I have talked about a movie called King of the Hill, where clearly the shot is like a first-person perspective, like in a video game or something. Um, so that said, I, I was careful to make sure all of mine were things where the cameras are definitely doing this weird first-person perspective shot, and it's not just what might be traditionally called a POV shot in a shooting script. 
Um, so I'm going to start with one that I think might be on more than one of our lists. I might be doing some duplicating here. Uh, it's a movie we watched for this podcast, and when the movie started, I thought we were seeing a found footage movie until there's this weird effect of like a shutter coming down quickly, and you realize, holy cats, that's the character blinking, and I'm seeing through his eyes. Uh, so that's one of my favorite POV shots for what a surprise it was, and it's the opening scene of Enter the Void. Um, did anyone oh. else? Did anyone else pick that? That's I have a different three. Yeah. It's my number three too. It's all our number threes. Are you guys oh, serious? Yeah. yeah, my number three. Yeah, because because of that, that how great that reveal was for me because I thought it was a found footage, and then you see the blinking, and then you realize what that is, and. Um, uh, I had to eliminate what was my original number three because, and I'll 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 tell you why later. But uh, I love that that moment where you realize, oh, that's what that's where we are. And then when he later goes and he does when he start when he does drugs for the first time, I mean, you really start to get a sense of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so that you picked that as well, Kelly Wand. Yeah, but my scene's the one I don't think you guys saw because every time I mention this movie to people and I describe the scene, they just stare at me like. Uh... I have more turds hanging out of my ear than normal. Well, we and did talk about this, and it, there there were some shots that weren't in the either that were in the, the Cannes Film Festival release or that weren't in theatrical. But but there are a couple of cuts of it, and there's some extended sequence which I think you're going to tell us about, which is not in the DVD release that Dingus and I saw. Right, so, which kind of bums me out because I to me it was one of the most memorable sequences. But it's it, when uh, go ahead. Well, I can't remember when. Because there's time's so fragmented already, I can't remember when in the movie it happens. Because it kind of doesn't matter, really. Um, but, like, I think it's about midway through, and he's already... You know, he's de- he's been a ghost, and no one's been able to see him up till now. And then he's suddenly in the morgue, but it's like an hour into the movie, so, you know, it can't be something screwy. And then they... Uh, what's his name? What's the friend's name? Ray? Uh, uh, let's pretend it's Ray for the purposes of this discussion. <laughs> My apologies to the actor and everyone involved, uh, and the character. And so he, Ray leads him out to a, uh, a cab, and his sister's in the front seat with that her Japanese lover. And she's like, I don't want to look at you. looks disgusting. And you don't know what you look It's like you're the guy. You're the zombie. So it's right. basically – and so the guy, like, punches you in the face, and it, it barely even moves your point of view. So you, that's how uh, you know that you're, in a way, super-powered, and it's not real. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, I'm sure it's an awesome scene. I, I've never seen it. I don't know. Well, now you don't have to because I just spoiled it. Uh, and, Dinga, so you're, you, were you thinking particularly uh, the opening as well? Uh, I'm Yeah, I'm thinking the moment where, I mean, I, I had a hard time nailing the exact moment, and I watched the opening again because luckily it's on Instant Watch right now. Um, and which is why we didn't get to see the scene Kelly's talking about because it's not on instant watch. But it, you know, he starts, he's looking at the, the, the plane and he's talking to his sister and, uh, and you feel like, I felt like it was found footage and he holds up the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, and it, and then you, you realize this, this weird sort of blanking out thing that you mentioned is, is blinking. And that's just this great, whoa! And, uh, and it's a great p- moment where you realize, oh, I'm just looking into his eyes. It later it later starts to annoy the hell out of me in that movie, and it's not a you know we, I think uh, we disagreed about this a little bit because it it was maybe number two on Kelly's list last year, um, but it uh, but the it, it starts to annoy the hell out of me later on when 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 the POV shifts. Um, 
So anyway, but that early moment is such a great and exhilarating moment where you realize that that's what you're looking at. Uh, according to Kelly Wand, the only movie last year that was better than Enter the Void is King's Speech. Yes, I stand by both of those. <laughs> but uh, uh, I also like the scene where he's in the he gets to the it's like about 20 minutes, half an hour into the movie and he gets to the place he gets to the void. Yes. He passes on, and you're like, wait, the guy whose point of view I am just got killed off, and I'm 20. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a spoiler, so let's, uh, okay. If, if you want well, there's to. A, there's a couple other POV shots I really like, which is when somebody's leaving a message for someone, and I can't remember the friend's name either, uh, but when he's leaving a message, there's a great sort right. of skipping POV shot that happens. Right. So basically, uh, Cool POV stuff in Enter the Void. We recommend it. Look up our uh, podcast on Quarter to Three Movie Podcast on iTunes, and you can hear more about this. Wow. <laughs> you didn't need to go that far, I don't think. They could <laughs> well, have spammed us up. You just, but you just spoiled a huge part of it. I would be so mad yeah. if I was listening to this podcast, Kelly Wine, and I had not seen Enter the Void. So, But you already spoiled it with the morgue thing. With the mm. first scene. He didn't say that. Oh, dude, TMI. But it's a dream sequence, though. Dude, three by threes always spoil shit. People know. All right. They know they're not they're not listening. Trust me. It's just us. Okay. Well, my number two, I'm going to spoil uh, the opening of 28 weeks later. I say the opening. This is actually about it's maybe a good uh, 40 minutes into 28 weeks later. Uh, there's a scene where Robert Carlyle is converted to a rage infected. They're not zombies. Whatever they. You know what? They're zombies. Uh, Robert Carlyle has been infected. He is infected by his own wife, and uh, it's. The, the, this is the sequel to 28 Days Later, in which the rage virus basically screws up. You think it's the world. It's actually only England. Um, so in 28 Weeks Later, it's contained. Robert Carlyle is one of the survivors repopulating the area, and he gets infected, and he is the point of the movie where everything goes to hell again. And the movie does this weird shift. Now, it's not entirely what Dingus mentioned. It's not entirely this first-person perspective. What happens is he gets infected. He, he kills his own wife, who's infected him. Uh, and then there are these shots of him rampaging through the hallway. And we have seen the infected in the first movie, and we'll see. And we've seen a few of them in 28 weeks later. We'll see a lot more of them. Uh, Danny Boyle and uh, Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, who shot both movies, uh, do this overcranking thing to make the infected look all janky with their movement and uh, it's kind of scary, fast motiony stuff. But what this is, there's a, a couple of brief scenes of Robert Carlyle, newly infected, rampaging through the hall of this military installation, that gives you a sense for what it's like to be infected what it's like to be one of these 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 raging zombies. And the way they do it is they sort of mount it's an effect you've seen many times where they mount a steady cam on someone so that it's frozen on the person's face and you see the background moving around and it has this weird floating look to it. But what happens is they mount it on his back, shooting sort of over the shoulder, where you can see his head as he's going through the hallway and he's attacking people and he's biting them and there's blood everywhere. But you get the sense that this is what it looks like from inside 
himself. Like there's a sense that his actual self is in there somewhere watching this happen. Because when he first gets infected uh, and his wife, who's in the same room with him, calls his name, there's a shot of him remembering something, remembering the last time he saw her. And that sort of flashes on screen and you get the sense that this is what's going on in his mind. So that being infected is almost like floating around behind yourself, seeing yourself doing terrible things, having no control over it. It's There's a lot of jump cuts. Some of it's in slow motion. Um, so I love that one very brief sequence in uh, 28 Weeks Later where we see a POV shot from the perspective of someone infected. Mm. All right. So there's my number two. Kelly Wand, what is your number two favorite instance of uh, a POV shot? Uh, <laughs> this is my only found footage one, because I thought found footage is kind of cheating the angle sort of on this. Uh-huh. But uh, I know you, Tom, I know you're a Cloverfield apologist, right? I like me. Pinkus is our biggest, uh, clo- he's our chief Cloverfield apologist. He I would is? Think- yeah. Ahead of me, because I'm pretty big on the Cloverfield. Dingus, who wins the Cloverfield Apologist Contest? You or Kelly Wand? Uh, Kelly wins because he um, he's a true believer, and it's taken me several viewings of Cloverfield to be converted. Mm-hmm. So, Kelly, Kelly Wand, you are our biggest Matt Reeves fan on this podcast. Only for that movie. <laughs> you haven't even seen Let the Right One In, or Let Me In. You don't know if you might love that movie, for all you know. I know from the title I don't want to keep... If the title doesn't grab me, like Contagion grabbed me. Uh, Someone on a podcast I heard talking about Fright Night, uh, talking about Colin Farrell's, uh, like how he's really good in it and does have this strange allure, said, and I don't think this guy was joking, uh, but I couldn't help but tie it to the movie, said something about, I thought Colin Farrell was really good in the movie, and uh, I think I would let him in. Whoa. (laughs) Of Colin Farrell Uh, as the vampire in Fright Night. Uh, well, especially if, yeah. it, if he wants beer. It's, it's a great let me in and give me beer scene. Yeah. All right, so Kelly Wan, sorry, so you are a Cloverfield apologist. I'm assuming then your number two choice is Cloverfield. Which point of view shot, considering the entire movie, is actually point of view shots? Well, yeah, exactly. So, um, see, people who don't like Cloverfield, their first complaint is the characters suck, they're boring, they're shallow, they're one-dimensional, they're stupid. I hate. See, the way to watch and enjoy Cloverfield is to go. God, I hate these fucking characters. If only a monster would come and eat them all. <laughs> and the most annoying one is HUD, the cameraman. See, his name's HUD. Get it? Camera HUD. Tom. What is what does HUD stand for, Kelly Wand? Uh, I don't know. HUD. <laughs> From HUD. Aliens. Hi, the characters in uh, Alien, is it? <laughs> That's I just song. did that joke. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, so he's like the worst cameraman ever. That's his character. Mm-hmm. Even the, So he's your viewpoint. So it's like through the whole movie, you can't get one fucking decent shot of Cloverfield because he's such a shitty cameraman, HUD, the character. And then at the end, Cloverfield is about to eat him, and he gets the camera up, and he gets this fucking one perfect, awesome shot of Cloverfield. Like, it took him the whole movie, and it's, it's going to take his life right now, but he at least got the camera on one frame. <laughs> deliberately that he wanted so his last act is to let us see cloverfield distinctly it's to finally do his job yeah it only took him 90 minutes and cost him his life but it was super worth it mm-hmm. like they have a moment because cloverfield looks at him like oh yeah you're that douchebag from the subway 
I remember now because you were pointing that thing at me. Like That's they know each other, right? They remember he, Cloverfield remembers him, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so Hud's denouement from Cloverfield. <laughs> Is that what denouement means? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's a cinematographic term. <laughs> All right, Cloverfield number two. Dingus, do you, do you take any issue with that found footage movie? Are you going to allow that? Uh, no, that that'll work. That's fine. okay. So that'll do, Kelly Wand. <sighs> Dingus, that'll what is, do. That'll do, Bat Pig. <laughs> What's your number two choice, Dingus, for your favorite POV shot? All right, I'm going to give you guys a quote. Oh, I noticed you didn't give us a quote from Enter the Void. <laughs> do you want one? <laughs> yeah. What do you got? <laughs> they say you fly when you die. And I do it in German. <laughs> <laughs> You were going to try. You're married to someone who would do it. She would be no. so I was going to do some sort of weird pig German, and then I realized she might actually hear that at some point. And, <laughs> and you would get in trouble. All right. Well, so then what is your, what's a quote from your number two pick for your favorite point of view shot? That pig German, huh? <laughs> see what I did there? I, I see. I don't think there's a chance you guys will get this. Here you go. Uh, no. Um, I'll go with the Loden. It's not in your face. It's in my hand. No, um, Afghanistan, Chechen. I can't wait for that movie to come out. The game, go, game of Thrones, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> uh, I'll go with the Loden. I'll go with the Loden. I'll go with the Loden. I think it's not even. Know, yeah, what, what is a Loden even? You've seen some movie neither of us has seen. Sounds like Loden. an elf from Two Towers. It does, but Loden turns out to be uh, an olive green type of color, and he's choosing this because the periwinkle was not available. Kelly Wan, do you know what he's on about? Phase seven? No. Here's another quote: Seven and a half, right? I'll take. I'll talk. Um, I'll take you through it. Uh, have I seen this movie? Because that'd make it more interesting. <laughs> As opposed you to might not have any movie I've ever seen that you don't think of. Is it The Guard? That's no. a movie? The Guard. The Contagion. The La Brea Tar Pit. I don't know, Dingus. I don't think I know it. But I don't think there's any way oh. 98% of oh. the people... Well, Shadowcat knows it. Ah. <laughs> uh, but this this line, uh, no, I'll take the load, and it's always stuck with me because it's one of my favorite moments from this movie. And I know it's not a movie that, that Tom particularly likes. It's uh, a movie called Being John Malkovich. And the, there's a lot of POV in Being John Malkovich because the, the sure. conceit of the movie is that we get dumped into John Malkovich's head. But my favorite moment is when the, the first guy, because they're, they're selling tickets to get inside, to go into this portal that gets you into John Malkovich's head. And the first guy who goes in, who's fat and sad, and, and he, he goes in, and his adventure in John Malkovich's head is John Malkovich ordering bath towels. <laughs> And so, and uh, and so, the whole thing you see for the point of view is John Malkovich looking at a catalog and saying, "Well, I, you know, I, I, I've already got a bath mat. Can I get three towels?" And they, they talk, <laughs> the, the operator says, "We're out of periwinkle." And he goes, "Well, I'll take the load." And I, I mean, I just remember that so clearly because uh, once the guy gets dumped out onto the New Jersey freeway or the turnpike, wherever he's ju- dumped out, he's so excited. It, this, yeah. 
is the culminating moment of his life because he has been in Malkovich's head while Malkovich was ordering bath towels. And so I just love – there's a lot of POV in this movie, but that's my favorite moment, that moment where, where Malkovich is ordering bath towels and, and has to change the color to load. Good pick, Dingus. I approve. Um, well, thank you. Well, Loden's not a good bath towel color. It's okay. Come on, that's awesome, really. I mean, it's if you're gonna fo- how are you gonna follow up on periwinkle, Kelly Wand? Because <laughs> mm. soft I think, Thomas. Well, Bert Umber would be the easy joke, and Loden is like it does sound like a dwarf, and you look it up, and it's a weird green color. There's a great that's joke about there's a great joke about Celadine in uh, the the changeup. So uh, I think that's a good one too, Celadine. All right, let's yeah. But, oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds like an elf in the two stars. Let's go to our number ones. You guys ready for this? These are the best point of view shots in moviedom, according to According us. to random dudes on the internet. We're not random. We've seen, uh, we, we're coming up on 100 of these episodes. I don't know if you guys know uh-huh. that. That's a lot. I think that qualifies us for something. We all get a, a merit badge. All right, sure. my number one. I'm going to get into, like, serious, like, film geek kind of history here. So one of the hallmarks of a slasher movie, I think, is that you see from the the killer's perspective, you know, like Jason or Michael Myers or whatever, um, there were there are plenty of movies about murders, and there's this whole weird uh, Italian school of, of, like, horror films called giallos that are kind of like precursors to the, the slasher film. Uh, but one of the the common uh, commonly thought of as, as the first slasher movie ever is a movie from, I think, 74 called Black Christmas. Um, and it's not very good, and I actually don't even think it's that much of a slasher film. But one of the hallmarks that it introduces is seen from the killer's perspective. And Black Christmas, I don't think is a slasher film. It's more like a murder mystery where you happen to see from the killer's perspective on a few occasions. But what becomes what we know as slasher films, I think, were, were established better with things like Friday the 13th and uh, Halloween, where the, the killer is kind of the hero. And he can't be killed, and you see from his perspective. Like to me, those are that, those are the movies that really set the tone. Now, however, I think a huge and 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 that perspective, like seeing through Jason's pers- through his eyes as he's going to kill someone, that's like a huge thing of what makes it kind of effective. However, my choice for number one predated this in slasher movies, but it did it from the killer's perspective. And it did it in such a way to make it even scarier because you see where the killer is coming from. Because you see that the killer could be watching you from some place where you couldn't see him back. And the, the perspective, I know, my cat agrees. And so that, that weird perspective, and it opens the movie, by the way. The movie opens with the killer basically moving around, and you don't even realize that's what you're watching. And then it cuts to the first victim, and when the victim is killed, you see the killer coming up to the victim, and it makes the movie that much scarier. And the movie is Jaws. And I think what Jaws did by showing us what it looks like from the shark's perspective, you know, the shark can come up from underneath you where you can't even see it, uh, I think was a huge innovation in that movie and a big part of, like, what made it really scary. Like, murky water is one thing, but knowing that the shark is down there and what you look like through the shark's eyes before it eats you, I think was like a huge, for me, sort of perspective shift. Uh, and what that adds to Jaws and how that later works in slasher films, I, I think, is uh, is a really big deal. So my favorite example of point of view 
of a POV, a first-person perspective shot in a movie, is the way that Jaws used it. Well, shark teeth do slash, technically. Uh, sure, sure. And shark teeth slash pop, Paul. <laughs> no Jude Law teeth pop. <laughs> hey, uh, the water's murky because we pay our water bill on the sanitation the same bill. Aha, uh-huh. could be it. Uh, they actually do, yeah, they have shark, they have plenty of shark perspective, by the way, in Shark Night 3D, in case anybody's... The whole... No, I don't care about the movie. The whole time you were talking about that, the movie I thought you were going to say was Halloween, because that opens with Michael Myers' point of view, and he's wearing a mask, and he goes up. And then the reveal at the end is, oh, he's a kid. Well, doesn't – I haven't seen it in a while, but there's a really good uh, movie called Peeping Tom, which is one of the early – it's sort of like a precursor to horror movies, and it's really about voyeurism and filmmaking. Michael Powell. Yeah, and I was trying to think, are there any cool POV shots there? I don't recall offhand, though, because uh, it's all about watching things through cameras and, and whatnot. So I don't – unfortunately, it, it would be even more highfalutin of me to sort of go back to that. Uh, but I don't recall if there's any shots like that in, in Peeping Tom. Um, so Jaws, Jaws begins – the opening credit music is as if we're the shark, right? And that's the thing, too, is, yeah, it always, if you hear that music, it's because you're seeing the shark's, shark's perspective, there, yeah. so that later when it's the kids doing the prank and we see the underwater perspective, you don't hear the music, and it's quiet, and it feels weird. Something feels off. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the opening sh- shot of Jaws is the camera moving through the water while the music plays, and the idea is you're watching the shark swim around. Yeah. And then you what? have that iconic shot of, who is it, Christine? What's the girl? Chrissy. Who, Chrissy, uh, that, of her treading water. And you see from beneath her. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. And Shark Knight 3D, by the way, rips off that whole first scene, except that it's all in waist deep water. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's see, like a hermit crab is the attacker. Basically, you see the shark in the lake, and she's got kind of standing in the water. Because there's no, you know, when you're treading water in, in, in like deep water, there's this sense that you're kind of like you're poised over an abyss. Uh, and that's scary. That's what's scary uh, about swimming. And that's the, you know, that's one of many things that Shark Knight 3D just has no idea about. Is that the first attack takes place where she's standing on the bottom of the the lake? I mean, that's ugh, good lord. Well, that's that's the reality of of a lot of shark attacks is that they they can take place in three feet of water, but that's not particularly uh, going to work on me mentally. Thing is, don't bring <laughs> your science into this. Yeah, don't if it's three it, feet, no, he's right. If it's in three feet of water, you'll probably kick its ass, actually. You want it in three feet of water. Well, that, that does shark on in three feet. That, that does happen in Shark Knight 3D. One of the characters, he's a football player, and he's a really fierce football player, and he's a, I don't know, state champion or whatever. And early on, he gets his arm bit off. That's like the first casualty, and they think, ah, it's a boating accident. Uh, and <laughs> That's so- no boating accident. Boating accident. Exactly, Dingus. So they, they bring him in, he's lost his arm, and they tie it off or whatever, and there's CG, you know, where his arm is cut off. And later, he gets, so, you know, they're trapped on the little island where they're camping. He gets so put out by the idea of these sharks that he takes, like, a spear, and he wades out into waist-deep water. Actually, does he have the spear? But anyway, he gets into a hand-to-hand fight with a shark in waist-deep water after he's had an arm bit off. That's in Shark Knight 3D, I just want to say. Spoiler. PG-13, though. So I was at when I went to my uh, theater. Brief, uh, sorry, brief tangent here. But I went to my my local theater where, if you ask at the box office about a movie, they will helpfully tell you about the movie. And there was a father there with maybe a 
thing is he was older than your son. I'm guessing the boy is maybe 10 years old. Uh, they were going to see a movie, and the boy was next to his father, and the boy was literally jumping up and down, you know, trying to look over the counter. He was so excited about something they were going to see. And the father, I could overhear this. It was great. The father was sitting there looking up at the different movies showing, and he asked the woman, what's Apollo 18? And the woman says, it's about these people who go to the moon and they don't come back. It's a documentary about what happens to them. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and so the father's looking and then he goes, yeah. I hear the help is really good. And you can just see the poor kid, you know, at his side was just so dismayed. Like you could see his expectations. He was there to, he wanted to see one thing and he was jumping up and down to want to see it. And so the father goes, I hear, I hear the help is really good. And the woman behind the counter was like, oh, yeah. And and then the father looks up there and he finally goes, well, okay, two for Shark Knight 3D. Whoa! <laughs> what? Twist ending. <laughs> well, you could tell. I mean, it seemed like that's what the little kid really wanted to see. And the father... Oh, I thought he wanted to see Apollo 18. That was where I thought the story was going. Well, the way she sold Apollo 18, though, it's a documentary. Yeah, documentary. Yeah, I think... Maybe she thinks that. Maybe she, she doesn't know what a documentary is. Was the dad jerking his kid? Or was he joking when he... No, no, no. That's the funny thing. You could tell the dad, the kid really wanted to see Shark Knight 3D, and the dad was, like, considering other things... I don't know what was going on. Maybe he thought it might be too much for his son. But the kid really wanted to see the shark, sh- sharks eating people, I- I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. So that's what they got to see. Which Did he, get, he didn't get good value, though, because you didn't like that movie. Uh, I didn't like that movie, but and, and when I think of a, a father taking his son to see it, you know, I have no problems if, if you think your your kid can handle that kind of thing, whatever. But, but Shark Knight 3D is really stupid, and it's bad, and it's boring, and there's not yeah. much good shark stuff in it. So that was part of what I was thinking is, oh, you poor kid – there's maybe like one cool – it's not even a cool kill because it's so stupid CG, but there's one scene where a dude's on a jet ski and the shark, like, the shark leaps out of the water, like full frame, leaps out of the water and bites the guy and knocks him off the jet ski. Uh, it's at night, so it's dark, but it's just a CG effect. You know, The actor just falls off the jet ski and they draw a big shark jumping over him. And uh, Otherwise, it's just you know people jerking around in the water and at, at one point like Donald Logue – is trapped under glass and he's banging on the glass to try to get out and the mean shark comes and kills him and he just gets dragged underwater and they shoot blood up on the glass like it's just stupid things like that uh, boring so the whole thing is and there's so little shark stuff and there's no real like sex in it so you know what it I, it really is it's nothing that couldn't be on tv I'm, I'm guessing but it's just boring and stupid and doesn't have much shark in it so i felt sad that this poor kid i mean it could have been worse he could have had to sit through the help so yeah. Does it take place at night even? Oh yeah, boy, it's lots of nighttime photography. Shark Night is, yeah. Because I think it was just cheaper to do. I, actually, I don't know about cheaper, but three uh, D, it's way better. There's 3D's a lot of awesome. nighttime stuff in Jaws, and it takes a long time to see the shark. Maybe this is a new Steven Spielberg thing. You just didn't recognize. Yeah, it. Dingus. Yeah, you're right. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> do you think sharks really hear that music when they're swimming? In the <laughs> 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 uh, Kelly, one, uh, what, Kelly you totally nailed it here when you're swimming. <laughs> Kelly, one, what is your number one favorite use of a POV shot in a movie? When John Williams first did that music, uh-huh. and he made Spielberg listen to it. Spielberg thought it was a joke, by the way. <laughs> so, just saying. Oh, my number one. Uh, I just want to real quick. What if George Lucas had directed Jaws? Think about that. Then he'd make three prequels where the sharks are all guppies and um, Brody's a kid or another police chief. More hugs. 
<laughs> Ewan McGregor would play young Quint. Yeah. He'd CG Roy, Roy Scheider into it as a ghost, <laughs> like telling his younger self how to kill the shark. Mm-hmm. We'd get the Indianapolis. That would be good. Quint's the Bob Boba Fett character, obviously. And then they uh, trick the shark by pretending they're in the garbage that's coming out of this end of the orca. Dude, it'd be easy. Kelly, one, if you were working at a theater and a father with a young boy comes up and is like looking at the marquee and he says to you, I hear the help is really good. What do you tell him? That's about right. You're a racist if you see that. Check out this moon movie because it really happened. And <laughs> it's why if your son looks at the moon too long, he might go blind. Just tell him what you document. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, and then what if you worked at a movie theater, Kelly Wan, and someone asked you, what is your number one choice for a point of view shot in all of moviedom? What would you then tell that person? Get a life. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I wouldn't really say that. Um, <clears throat> I'm not one to talk. But uh, I'm going to say what it is, and then I'll tell you why I think it's good. All right. Totally necessary to set that up, Tom. I couldn't just <laughs> say that and then explain why it's good. I, drag people in word by word uh the beginning of contact where it's like you hear radio playing and you go back no wait 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 hear me out hear me out i know i saw the same movie you did just wait wait so you're the radio and then you hear the like 1930s amos and andy stuff and there's like 20 minutes more like of silence so it's like you get the sense that Oh, the universe is like really peaceful, except for us, like that noisy little world way at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking at the end of that movie, it should have been like when the ghost of her dad appears as the alien. He goes, she goes, what, tell us what, what, what do you want? What'd you call me for? What do you want? What'd you want to tell us? And he goes, could you guys turn your radios down? <laughs> it's really loud. It's really annoying. A, a lot of us. Thanks. And he just walks away again. The end. That's my number one. Good. I like that. Dingus, are you accepting that? I don't I don't know what the shot that he's talking about is. It's the is, opening. It, it, so is that is yours an audio choice? Yeah, it's like point the aural. It's the aural point, point of view. Yeah. yeah so it's, PO, it, it's POA then. Ah, very good. Oh. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> what? I don't care. I don't care what you're talking about. You think about that. All right, Dingus, what is your number one, and can you give us a quote from it? I sure can. Here's a quote. It sure beats dirty magazines. Hmm. What beats what? dirty magazines? Let's think. What beats them? Oh, he's doing. He's probably doing something that has some weird holodeck scene. Is it one of the Star Trek Next Generation things? I know you beat things to them. <laughs> no and no. Sure beats Is it Minority Report, or it's... Is it- Herbie goes bananas. <laughs> Dingus, I already hate your pick, whatever it is. Sherby's Dirty Magazine. Boogie Nights. Uh, People vs. Feral Larry Flint. Uh, Armageddon. Uh, I, don't know. I don't know, Dingus. What do you got for us? All right, this is a nostalgia pick. Um, this is a movie from 1983 directed by Douglas Trumbull called Brainstorm. Wow. Louise Fletcher. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good choice. Who's like it? Christopher Walken and Louise Fletcher, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood. Oh, her last movie. Too soon, Smith. Dingus. Too soon. Way too That's soon. Also, uh, Cliff Robertson, which is way too soon. 
But oh I boy, wa- that's right! Oh, dingus, how dare you? How I, I dare watched you? it this week. I watched it this week. I rented it and watched it this week because I. So you tell them. Yeah, I, I might have because I watched it early this week, and uh, I mean, this is one of the things I thought of when I came up with this topic because uh, I feel terrible because then he died. Who? Dingus, I'm sure anything. To, yeah, you didn't have anything to do with it, Dingus. He would have died. Even if, you, even if you had not seen Brainstorm. Now, how does Brainstorm hold up? I can't imagine it holds up well. Obviously, it holds up well enough that you've got a number one pick for point of view shot from it, right? Well, it, it's a number one pick because of uh, because of nostalgia. Now, it, it doesn't hold up very well. There's some stuff in it that's okay, but there's this weird sort of slapstick thing that happens as the movie progressive that's totally bizarre uh, that it devolves into. Um, but... God, I don't know. I don't know how to describe this without being completely weird. Um, but but the 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 actual there's a lot of POV in this in this movie because it's about virtual reality essentially. Um, and the the moment in particular is that that uh, that this this rogue douchebag character who's doing most of the filming for them for the virtual reality thing that they're making this invention that they're making uh, he goes off the reservation does all this crazy stuff and one of the things he does is he has sex with somebody and then he passes the tape around to other people and one of the guys he passes it to splices it he, he just he cuts it so that all that he has loops. The, he loops the orgasm part and he takes it home and he almost dies yeah and for me, when I when I first saw it, I mean, this is from 1983, so I probably rented it in 85 or 86. And um, and you know, you, you there's no like internet POV porn at that time. Um, it's there just, is now. I don't know, but I heard I read this magazine once that said that National Geographic. I think. Um, but at that time, that this there, there's this this shot of the guy watching it, and he's just in this like. Lazy boy twitching when Christopher Walken finds him in his basement, and he puts the the headgear on and sees the, this woman having sex with the guy from the guy's point of view, and that just was like whoa to me when I was watching this as a kid, <laughs> because I didn't have a lot of porn, and you're not you know you know porn's not available in 1985 the way it is in 2011. So you're saying you uh, only had a little bit of porn. Uh, I had the porn in my brain in this film. <laughs> but you also get to hear things people say during sex, too. Like, you learn a lot from that scene. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so so a lot of the, the POV in this uh, I liked a lot. I, it's a it's kind of a goofy movie. I, I like um, I like that it's at Kitty Hawk, which is in North Carolina, where I've been a lot of times. I mean, I, I, it was just sort of a nostalgic experience watching it again this week. Uh, I remember a, uh, I think it was a virtual reality. I don't remember what the doodad was in it, but there's a look, there's a, a movie. It might be a Michael Crichton book or something with Albert uh, Finney called Looker, and I don't know what. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's the it's, uh, Susan Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really vague. He's because it's a gun that works with light or works on light. Keep saying light over and over like that's enough science for like. Well, the science that I remember freaking me out as a kid is they put these glasses on Albert Finney and they show him pictures i think and at one point there's a picture of a beautiful woman and they're just flashing other pictures but then they later go back and they're like okay what we could tell with these glasses is what you were looking at 
And yeah. so they go to the picture of the beautiful woman. And there's all these like the dots representing what he's staring at, like going right to her breasts and her butt. And I remember as a kid seeing that and thinking, whoa, I am so glad nobody can tell that. But just in case, you got to be real careful what you're staring at and when in case this technology ever comes along. Uh, I just remember thinking, wow, he got totally busted. You know, I want to make sure that never happens to me. So I'm going to be discreet. Where I look, we don't we don't want women to have that tech. On <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we cannot we cannot In give the them that power. Right, they'll never stop slapping us. <laughs> uh, there's a weird um, virtual reality POV thing with like a. It might. Yeah, I'm gonna feel so dingus. You think you're weird? No, I'm thinking of Strange Days. Isn't there like a rape weird POV yeah, thing? Yeah, uh, uh, Bridget Baca. I don't know who that is, but she's like the victim. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, your brainstorm thing made me think of that, Dingus. Uh, By the way, I looped that scene from Brainstorm over and over because I thought maybe it would kill me in a good way. But I screwed it up and I accidentally looped the part where he's twitching and dying over and over. So I fucked it up. <laughs> nice part, Kelly Wand. Well, it's such a weird for for you know somebody just coming uh, coming coming into his own sexually to to watch that that loop and and wonder why is he doing that i mean it's just such a weird weird thing and it made such an impression on me it was also awesome sorry go ahead no you go ahead it was so great to live then and grow up then because you you would actually get to see shit like that in movies like they weren't they weren't quite as um as strict as they are now about that stuff like i think it was a pg movie wasn't it i don't remember i think you can see her you you can see your breasts. I mean, it, yeah, I don't I don't know that a lot of things. Dingus, if we were to play, if we were to fit you with those looker glasses, and then have you watch Brainstorm during that scene, do you think you could control where you were looking no. uh, during that scene? All right, okay. I, I can't do that in real life. Uh, there's a, there's also a moment early on where that where they where there there's this whole sequence of. Of uh, there's a board meeting and and all the people in the board meeting have the virtual reality thing on their heads and they, and everything that they're showing them are these like uh, we're in a hang glider we're on a roller coaster and I think the roller coaster is my favorite childhood roller coaster from Bush Gardens Williamsburg which is called the Loch Ness ah. Monster um, and the Loch Ness Monster was the first uh, looping roller coaster I went on and when I saw it this time uh, I'm pretty sure that's the same roller coaster. Nice. A roller coaster sighting. Very good. Loch Ness Monster. Uh, Loch Ness Monster was my nickname back in. Oh, forget it. <laughs> uh, runners up, gentlemen. Any runners up for favorite POV shots? So, Dingus, you and I mentioned uh, King of the Hill. I think a great first person perspective shot. Also great for how well it fits into the storyline. Like, it's not gratuitous. The reason it's in there is really awesome. We both recommend that movie. Uh, any other examples of great first-person point-of-view shots? Who? I, I've got Anyone? two that were suggested by things you just said, Tom. Okay. Um, when you were talking about killers, uh, it made me think of the uh, night vision first-person from Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Uh. <laughs> and, uh, and one that I really wanted early on that Enter the Void replaced <clears throat> was 28 Days Later. And uh, 28 Days Later didn't work for me because the POV shot, what I, what I decided to avoid was like that Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where the point of view of a bullet or an arrow. And um, the point of view shot that I thought I was going to see and I had to watch it again was when Brendan Gleeson gets the drop of blood in his eye. 
and you don't see it from his point of view, and that's what I was imagining, but you see it from the point of view of the drop of blood. Uh, And it's a really cool, ah, it's so cool. It's such a cool shot because of the, uh, because of what's going on in that. I mean, it's just, I just love that movie so much, but, but I was going to try to torture it into this list and I decided not to. (laughs) So it might, there's no infected POV shot in 28 days later, right? I don't, I don't know. Oh, you know what? I think there is. I'm just now remembering the guy they have chained up. Uh, in the courtyard that Christopher Eccleston's, you know, their military unit has chained up in the courtyard. There's a black soldier who's infected, and they chained him up. They put him in the courtyard to see how long it would take him to starve. The scene when Christopher Eccleston is showing Killian Murphy around, they walk out in the courtyard, and it's a point of view of the guy rushing through the clothes because there's all these clothes lines Uh. of clothes. And it's definitely an infected point of view as it's rushing through the clothes towards them coming out in the courtyard. I'm just now remembering that shot. So there's definitely an infected POV in 28 Days Later. And also, when the guy comes through the window at them, uh, midway. Oh, you're right, running towards the candlelight. Damn, Kelly yeah. Wand, that thing's full of POV shots. Awesome. Yeah, I think too. there's also like a monkey one in that first scene, um, as well as a, there's a monkey. There's a monkey POV in uh, in Brainstorm as well. <laughs> Wait, is there a monkey POV of the first in the opening bit of Twenty uh, Eight? There's later. There's one of being John Malkovich, where it's Elijah getting captured by uh, Zeke. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. He's Elijah. He can't untie the cords, and so he's traumatized for life because he couldn't free his parents by freeing the bonds. Hmm. All right. All right. Other runners up. Anything? Uh, I liked an old school when Will Ferrell shoots himself with a tranquilizer dart, and you see his fantasy sequence on a beach where Perry Reeves feeding him strawberries. Is that a POV shot? Yeah. Okay. Because you can hear him, you can hear him eat the strawberry, like gurgle it. Also, uh, Three Kings when Walbark, Walbark, <laughs> Mark, Mark Walbark gets shot, and he he falls down next to Spike Jones who just got shot, and then Spike Jones dies. So it's like it looks like he's gonna die because he just did what the other guy's gonna do. And it's from through his eyes, like you see it through his eyes. Yeah. Right. Also, in Terminator Salvation, remember when it's like they misspell break? Oh, I was hoping you were going to mention that, Kelly Wand. I was hoping it, it is Salvation, right? Because trying to yeah. think which Terminator movie has the typo in the HUD for the Terminator, <laughs> and it is well, Salvation. Yeah, and it may not be, it may not be a lapse, a, a buffoonish lapse on McG's part, but it could just maybe it was like the human programmers who programmed the Terminators, like just in case they'll fuck with, at least embarrass them or something. I don't know. So, what, you mean it's just a programmer and intentionally introduced error? Yeah, or maybe that's why the Terminators are so evil and insane. Is like, every, everything's misspelled, so it's like, the way they spell kill is like K-I-S-S or something. And now, what's the actual typo? Explain the scene, uh, Kelly Wan, to folks who may not have heard you talk about it before. The Terminator motorcycles that they made for the movie that you only see in this movie, even though they're more primitive than the ones in the other movies are chasing trucks because the Terminator motorcycles were made to chase trucks, I guess. And then um, it says engage brake when the chase starts going south, and it's spelled B-R-E-A-K. <laughs> so it could have meant engage, like, brake, like, let's, we got them, we can brake now. Maybe that's what it meant. Engage lunch brake. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, B-R-A-K-E. What if it's, even, although... Why would a Terminator even need English letters to tell itself to stop the brake or turn on the brake? Like, wouldn't it just 
Oh, it's just the, the HUD for, like, maybe a remote monitor or something. I mean, our cars don't go, all right, got to engage the brake. The foot's pushing down the thing. Hey, they, driver. If, if they were automated, they would. That's true. They're not called automobiles. Very good. HUD wasn't in that movie. Hmm. He should That's have been. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> Happy uh, 11 soon. All right, so uh, no other runners-up for uh, Point of View. No one mentioned Doom. Oh, Thought of it. That whole video game sequence oh, that uh, I think we can all do without. All right. Amazon Women on the Moon. There's like a thing where a dude rents a date, like he gets a VHS tape, and it's mm-hmm. like it's like a video of someone's point of view, like having a date with this girl. They make out and stuff. And then I, I remember watching this with like this kind of fat nerdish guy. Uh, for some reason, like in the DMV waiting room, and I go, oh, this, this scene's funny or something. He goes, Yeah. Patrice McDonald or something. Like, he knew the girl's name. Like, he'd watched the scene, like the character in the movie, so many times he knew the actress's name. Kind of like you with Strange Days. I have Richard Bacham. What are we doing next week for our 3 by 3 Oh, you know what? That's me. I'll tell you what we're doing next week. All right, so you guys ready for next week's 3 by 3 uh, yours always scare me. You're always, yours are too hard. <laughs> no, this one, well, maybe this one will be difficult. It's inspired by the movie that we saw. Uh, I want your three most convincing movie scientists. Oh, good one. All right. Because a lot of times we get junk science in movies. Like, I remember, did we? Yeah, okay, so dingus, we saw Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and there's one point where this movie, I would think, would not qualify for convincing movie scientists. Although, bless his heart, there's one point where uh, James Franco is in a room full of, like, data stuck up on the wall, and he's supposed to, like, gesture at something to make a scientific point. And dingus, you and I both laughed at how random it was. It's it's sort of like sometimes you'll see a character in a movie, like, having to, like, control something. And it's you just watch them flip a couple of random switches, and you think, you know, did the actor... Like, plan that? Did the director tell him to hit those switches? Is he just improving? Uh, so I love watching actors trying to pretend they're operating machinery or being scientists. And most of the times, it's not very convincing. Uh, or using a game controller. Yeah, that's another good one, yeah. Uh, or, or typing, like an actor watching. There's nothing quite like watching an actor who can't type putting his fingers, mushing keys down on a keyboard with no rhyme or reason. But so what I want is examples of, and it can be either because the actor is good or because of the way the dialogue is written. For whatever reason, I want your three most convincing movie scientists. And scientist in and of itself can be a fairly broad term. So do with that as you will. Uh, And let's see what you come up with. Any questions from anyone who isn't named Kelly Wand? (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Wand, you had a question. Well, I know Denise Richards was a scientist in James Bond movie. See, Kelly Wan, that's why I didn't make this topic your three favorite movie scientists, you see. Oh, that's my question. Was she a movie scientist? Because I thought her thing was nuclear weapons. Yeah, I think I think Christmas Jones would not qualify. Ah-ha! I knew I, her name, too. How embarrassing. Bridget Baca. Bridget Baca. You can, you can put her, everybody put her under three uh, least convincing jobs. Right. <laughs> we already had that topic. Uh, all right, so there you go. We'll do that, and we will see uh, Drive next week, um, directed uh-huh. by Nicholas Winding Refn, who is not the director of the Punisher movies, contrary to things I may have inadvertently said. He's instead the director of the Pusher movies. Uh, and we will be back with a three by three of uh, most convincing movie scientists. Uh, what do you guys think of that? Eh, got nothing better to do. Uh, Kelly, like Wand, 
Tell you get that out of my face. Uh, that's on, what he said. No, do oh. it with me, Kelly Wand. You're not doing it right. Do the next uh, one. Take, it's not what's in your face is in my pocket. <laughs> face is my pocket. Right? Now, now, Kelly Wand, did Guy Ritchie write the new Sherlock Holmes? Like, that's Guy Ritchie dialogue. Isn't he known for, like, snappy, crackerjack British dialogue? It was the last writing he and Madonna co-elaborated <laughs> on. <laughs> so some uh, of it's good. Yeah, so you know what? There's going to be a. I just want to warn you, Kelly Wan, anybody listening, and, and you too, Dingus, there, there's potential for a lot more of that between now and Christmas when Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows opens. I just want people to know that. Madonna plays a scientist in um, Desperately Seeking Susan. Is that the one where she builds the John Malkovich robot? That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. She's not in that one, but she plays a scientist in it. <laughs> Uh, all right, so join us next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McCransky. McCra- Christian McCransky. It's Christian Moroski. And Kelly uh, Wand. Uh, body switch movie, human centipede, and a centipede. Who'd be more bummed? Hans plays with Lottie. Lottie plays with Jane. La la. plays with Willie. La la. Willie is happy again. Snooky plays with Leo. Sasha plays with Brit. Adolf builds a bonfire. Enrico plays with it. What's up, Oh, body switch movie Wilson the Volleyball with Tom Hanks's bloody happy face that he made on the shirt with the muddy happy face in Forrest Gump. Like those two happy faces. My wife makes me take off my clothes in the garage.